if you've been tracking with us for the last um, uh, four Sundays, we started a new uh, series titled Undeserving. And, and essentially, we're getting into the details of God's grace. And it's been, I say this about every series, it's been really helpful, um, eye-opening, and, and, and transformative just to reconnect with the grace of God, the story of God's grace. And um, man, that's why we're here celebrating today. You know, Easter is just not a, 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 a one day of the year event for us. It's every Sunday when we come together, we have the extraordinary privilege to come and to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the grace of our God. And, and I don't know, that, that's enough for me to just keep on coming back and coming back and coming back and, and just to rejoice with the body. Um, if you are have a Bible, you can open uh, to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1. We're going to pick up reading in a, just a short bit uh, in verses uh, 15 through 16 as we get into today's message. Father, we thank you um, for just the Holy Spirit of which we need, God. Uh, Lord, I don't want to... Um, operate and speak, Lord, today apart from being connected and abiding in the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, I ask God that you'd make my words rich, that they would be fruitful and they would impact the soul, Jesus, of everyone here attending, uh, that our commitment and our love for Jesus would deepen as a result. We pray this in your precious son's name. Amen. Um, I'm 42 years old. I know I don't look that old, um, but I am. It's true. I, I look a good 20. I'm sure you guys are all convinced of that. Um, but uh, over the years, I have learned some pretty uh, terrifying, and I'm probably being a bit dramatic here, but terrifying uh, uh, truths about myself. Anybody here, like over the years, you just, you know, discovery, you're like, oh my goodness, I didn't know that was there. I didn't really know that that's like was in my heart. Well, um, I'm just like you. Uh, I've come to learn that I don't fully appreciate something unless it plays a vital role in my life. And wait, you know, I don't know necessarily if that's bad, but I mean, I'm sure it's not entirely good as well. Um, for example, um, I love the drink yerba mate. Uh, you may notice that I walk around, you know, with this yellow uh, kind of, no, it's, you know, energy drink. It's a caffeinated tea. And I have developed a bit of addiction to it. I get a slightly inconvenient headache, right, if I don't take it daily. And so I need it. And I've come to appreciate it and really count on it being part of my life. And then, of course, swaddles. If your parents here, you know exactly what I mean. How many know about the swaddle? Anybody? Okay. We have a newborn, and so we're being reintroduced, my wife and I. Uh, to the swaddle, and it's imperative to have a good swaddle. Now, not every swaddle works for every kind of kid. You know, like, I think right now in the Temple household, we have a, probably about five different swaddles. A and we've, we've experimented, you know, um, with these swaddles to see which one secures us the most sleep at night. And it seems to be that Benjamin likes a weighted swaddle um, that has almost like a stray jacket effect to it. You know, he, he's a rather big boy. He's determined. Uh, and he doesn't like to swaddle, but this particular swaddle, once you get, kind of get him in it and, and get him all strapped up in it, he calms right down. And I've learned to appreciate the swaddle deeply. Uh, it's imperative, um, uh, of course, for my sleep. Uh, and 
I, I deeply appreciate both of these things in my life at this point, and, and I feel um, desperately in need of them uh, in order to uh, be happy and maybe a little bit more dramatic, uh, survive. It does feel like a matter of survival sometimes, especially with a newborn, because I, like every human here, enjoy my sleep. And it's kind of interesting that newborns just don't enjoy sleep. I don't really get that about them. It's like, why, like, why did the Lord make you this way? Um, but it's true, and so a good swaddle goes a long way. Um, all humorous side. There was an unknown author, and if anybody after I cite this quote can tell me the name of this author um, through Google or something, I couldn't find him. But he once said this in regards to the grace of God. Uh, he said this, the more we comprehend the weight and the extent of our sinfulness, the better we can grasp and appreciate the magnitude and scope of God's forgiveness and grace at work in our lives. I want to read that one more time. I don't know if amongst all of us, this is all that of a popular statement. So let me just read it into record again. This unknown author, again, if you find him, please connect with me after service or text me, email me. I, I'm sure to respond. Uh, he said this, the more we comprehend the weight and the extent. Now listen up. Everybody at the coffee station, you're going to want to hear this. This is good stuff. The more we comprehend the weight and the extent of our sinfulness, the better we can grasp and appreciate the magnitude and scope of God's forgiveness and grace at work in our lives. Now, I happen to 100% agree with this statement. Now, I imagine there are some here today that might not, uh, but I do believe that the Bible does agree uh, with this particular quote. And, and, and just to rattle off one text that lives amongst many, in 1 Timothy 1, 15 through 16, here's Paul the Apostle, a significant figure in the Bible. Would we all agree upon that, right? I mean, Paul's just not anyone. He's somebody, right? He's the man in whom Jesus, right, the resurrected Christ, appeared to. I mean, uh, he's a pretty special guy. I mean, he gave us a, a, a lot of the New Testament, and he plays a significant role in the formation of the church in the early days. He says this about himself. In verse 15, we read, this is a trustworthy saying. I love this, how he introduces um, this subject of God's grace. He says, everyone should accept it, <laughs> as if this would be just one a part of God's word that we wouldn't accept. But Paul's like adamant about, hey, listen, this is a, a, a statement you can trust and, and you should accept it. He says, Christ Jesus came into the world to what? Save sinners. Agreeable. Absolutely. Praise God. And then he goes on this, this trustworthy uh, saying this saying of which we should a hundred percent accept as being true. He goes on to say, I, I, Paul, am the worst of them all. Other translations say, I am the chief of all sinners. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Again, he's calling, I mean, he's just throwing shade on himself, right? That's not the way I imagine Paul, right? I imagine him quite saintly, right? 
you know? I do. I imagine him quite upright and, 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 and morally put together. But here he is saying, no, no, I am the worst of all sinners. Wow. Then others will realize, he goes on, that they too can believe in him, Christ, and receive eternal life. Again, this is an interesting way, I believe, to introduce truths regarding the subject of grace. This is a trustworthy saying. This is what Paul says, right? Everyone should accept it as true. Now, this is appropriate in, 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 because in Jesus's day, as well as Paul's, there were some folk in the church, and might I say there's some folk today in the church that are living under the illusion of their own righteousness. Got, got two or three people are listening. Let me say that again. In, in Jesus's day, as well as Paul, and I believe this is why he's saying this here, there are some folk in the church, some people in the church living under the illusion of their own righteousness. In Jesus's day, it was groups like the Pharisees and Sadducees. We're probably familiar with those terms, those, those groups of people in the Bible. Uh, they, they were tremendously arrogant and prideful. Uh, they were the groups that kind of considered themselves kind of the, the moral authority of the day. Uh, the Pharisees had a reputation of thinking highly of themselves. They were kind of smug. Uh, they had a holier-than-thou complex. And they felt, and they kind of gave off the airs that they were morally superior to everyone else. I think it's an appropriate title to call them self-righteous, right? Let's read just one of the interactions that Jesus has with one of these Pharisees. This is in the Gospel of Mark chapter 2. You can turn there. I'm sure it will be on the overhead as well. This is probably a story that we're all familiar with, but in Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 13, we read this. Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. And as he walked along, he saw Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Jesus said, follow me and be my disciple. How about that? You know, like just like out of the blue. By the way, you know, I see you working over there at your booth there. Cute, precious, but come and follow me, right? Come be my disciple. Jesus said to him this. So Levi got up and followed him. Wow, look at the authority of Jesus. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other dis... Uh, I, I, I'm going to butcher this. Uh, disreputable, sorry. <laughs> Sinners. My goodness. There are many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. That's just a little excerpt there in the NLT that, that, that the author puts or includes. But when the teachers of religious law, who were the Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he, Jesus, eat with such scum? Jesus replied, or he heard this, and he told them, healthy people... Don't need a doctor. Now, you need to just listen for two seconds. I, I, I know this is like the third time I said that, but this is important. Just listen to Jesus' words here. His, his response to this Pharisee, he says, healthy people don't need a doctor. Well, that, that makes sense. And, and then Jesus goes on, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think. Wow. Who think they are what? Righteous. But those who what? Know 
They know without a doubt, much like Paul knows in 1 Timothy, who know that they are what? Sinners. Now, hear me, and we're, we're gonna try to unpack this a bit, right? One, I'm not mad, I yell a lot. It runs in my family, don't be offended. Two, here in this text, in Jesus' mind exists that all are sick in need of physician, even this Pharisee of whom Jesus is addressing. Now, it sounds cute that Jesus says, well, I have not come for the healthy. He is in no way, under any regards or terms, calling this Pharisee a healthy man. Jesus is mine. All are sick. The, the, the scum that these Pharisees are kind of judging as such, and, and these religious elitists, right, whom, whom are confronting Jesus. Jesus, in, in his mind, is saying all are in need of a, physis- of a physician. Yet, tragically, a good majority failed, much like this Pharisee, to realize this thus neglecting to seek Jesus' help. So you see, Jesus went after these religious people's uh, uh, disposition, right, in the gospel. Jesus public, publicly, excuse me, uh, uh, condemned their hypocrisy. Jesus accused them of giving off the impression of righteousness, but yet internally being unclean. If you don't believe me, read the gospel of Matthew chapter 23, 25 through 28. The ugly truth of self-righteousness is this. Self-righteous people are hoodwinked into thinking they are morally superior, when in reality, they are just as broken as you and me. Listen again, and I gotta kind of just zero in on my notes, so forgive me, because I wanna get this right. But, But listen to Jesus how he frames his response to this Pharisee who calls him out after hanging out with sinners. In in, in verse 17, Jesus says, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come not for those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Uh, Jesus says that healthy people don't need a doctor, but, but sick people do. But then he says that he has come for those who think they are righteous, but not those, I'm sorry, sorry, not for those who think they are righteous, but for those who know they are sinners. So it's reasonable to say uh, the healthy people Jesus is referring to here in talking to in this moment are deceived. It appears as though healthy people that Jesus is mentioning here in the text are the people who think they are righteous, but they are not. And in this case, they are not healthy. They're in need of a doctor. They're in need of a physician to point out and heal their deception. Quick question. Anyone have that friend, right? I say friend, so you can kind of exclude yourself. But you have that friend, right, who who thinks... They're great at something, right? But in reality, they're, they're mediocre at best, right? You're like, you don't have that. I, I, feel, like, I feel like I'm that kind of dad. Like, my son is really good at football. Like, I, I, like I, 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 if he was bad, I, I would lovingly say, son, 
you, you, you stick at football, okay? Maybe we should pick up something else. Maybe we should try painting or, 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 or music. And he does all those things as well, and he's very good at it. But I'll be very honest, but we all have those friends who think they're exceptional at something, when in reality, they're not. Uh, this is how I imagine these Pharisees are. These, and even the, the, the kind of spirit and the attitude of, of self-righteousness. It's like you kind of are under the false pretense that you are something special, you know, when in fact you're really not. And, and I don't know. I, I don't want to be offensive. I know that can come across that way. But I think if Paul the Apostle can stand and write a letter to his spiritual son Timothy and say, son, I am the chief of all sinners. I have no problem myself putting myself in that class at all. I'd rather, I'd rather associate and kind of throw myself in the category for many obvious reasons as a sinner than a smug, you know, kind of religious elitist who says, I am whole, morally complete, follow me as I follow Jesus. Listen, there's, there's something of God's grace here that, that, that we need to tap into. And, I, and, I'm, and in my mind, I'm thinking, man, if Paul the apostle can see his depravity, why can't we, the church, see ours? And I don't know, I'm not talking about the majority, but there is a, there is a, a movement in the body of Christ to kind of take ourselves out of the category of, of, of being sinners and depraved and needing of, of Christ, the great physician, and his imputed righteousness. And there's this kind of this replacement, weird thing going on in the church where we don't see ourselves as that anymore. Or, as, or we think by seeing ourselves as that, it's some kind of, um, I don't know what the word would be. It's, 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 it's some kind of uh, delegitimizing our faith in Christ when in fact, According to the quote that was read and according to Paul the Apostle, it only strengthens and legitimizes our need for Christ. I know I said a lot there. We are in no way to believe that Jesus addressing this man, this Pharisee, much like he did throughout the Gospels, other Sadducees and men who have the same attitude as this person in Mark chapter two, we're in no way to think that Jesus for a moment thought that this man was actually healthy and righteous. He did no way. You know, of course, if we want to just say the Bible's not true, I mean, Romans chapter three, verse 10 says, no one is righteous. No one, no, not even one, Paul says. <sighs> I don't know about you, friends. There is something deeply comforting about that, that scripture I just read. There, there's something deeply comforting about Paul's stance saying, oh, I am the chief of all sinners, right? I'm the worst of them all. Can you imagine Paul saying he's, he's like at the top of the list, <laughs> Nobody does, and, and, and I, I imagine some of you are thinking, of course Paul can say this. He had a pretty, uh, you know, sketchy past. I mean, if you, you know, he, he persecuted the church and in some instances had people, followers of Christ, put to death. But Paul doesn't say, I was the chief of all sinners. He says, I am the chief of all sinners. 
Here's point one. <laughs> Righteous people don't exist. We are all broken sinners. Some of us do it better than others, or, or so we think. <laughs> I know some of you are like, oh, dude, pastor, you don't know me. <laughs> like, you don't know what happens behind closed doors. Listen, I guarantee you, I know I've lived it. But we are all broken. We are all in need of Jesus' imputed righteousness. He is the great physician of both the sinner, the self-righteous, those who think they are something, and those who know they are nothing. And Paul realizes this in 1 Timothy chapter 1. I think it is possible for us, and I'm going to close this out here, for us to see uh, the magnitude of our sin in tandem we could experience or we should be experiencing the grandeur of God's forgiveness and grace. I, I say this because I believe this is exactly the way God has set it up. The more I realize how sinful I am, the more my heart grows fonder of Christ and his sacrifice. The, 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 the more I realize how sinful and depraved I am, the more I find myself treasuring not just Resurrection Sunday, but Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, I find myself oh, just cherishing and loving the sacrifice of God's Son for my sins. And I believe that this is the way God has set it up. Most of us will run away from God because of sin. Most of us will stay isolated and be like, I can't go to church. <laughs> My life is broken. I, I can't be amongst those people. Oh, if you only knew who I was. Friend, this is what church is for. It's to invite the worst of sinners into this context to hear the greatest news. The greatest news of worse, depraved sinners being reconciled to God. Oh, yes. <laughs> I want to get that in your heart. I've said this probably every Sunday, but some of you need to shut the devil up. Yeah, stop playing around with sin. But don't let the devil lie to you and keep you at bay and away from the house of God, in the presence of God. Let that depravity, let that sinfulness draw you closer to God's grace. I'm convinced that if Paul the Apostle can be transformed and, and, and can encounter the grace of God in the face of all he did, all that sums up his past and whatever he's alluding to here in his present uh, regarding First Timothy, that if, if Paul the apostle can stand with such confidence, then Daryl Temple can too. And if I can, you all can. And I say, stop letting your sin keep you away from the presence of God. 
Let it drive you into his grace. Oh, you feel the heart of God in that statement. Man, I just, God, the more darker it gets, the more distance you feel, close that distance up with, with running after the presence of God. Guys, here's the thing. Jesus was here in Mark chapter 2 and is now still the great physician looking for sinners. <laughs> People like Levi. People like 20 years ago, Daryl Temple, strung out on drugs, just depraved. Jesus sought me out. Jesus is still looking for people to save. The worst of people to bring into his house. If Jesus can transform Paul, then Jesus can transform anyone. Close your eyes, everybody. 13 people raised their hands to give their life to Jesus Christ. Only two responded to the altar. I believe we're in a season where God wants to, well, we're not just in a season, we're, we're freshly recognizing and realizing just how much Jesus wants to save people. And I just wanna give a, a brief opportunity in the context of all that was said. Man, if you feel far off from God, or if you came here today and, and, and you're saying, man, I, I wanna know more, like, you know, you, you, you came not uh, as a professing believer. You, you, you came because maybe a friend pressured you or asked you or whatever, but you're here today and you're like, man, I, I would like to find a, a little bit more information about this saving grace that this guy's talking about. Uh, just raise your hand. Every eye is closed. Please be respectful from those serving in this service to just those who are attending. Let's just close our eyes. And just briefly, uh, if you want to find out more about God's saving grace and, and the forgiveness of your sins, just put your hands up high. I want to talk to you after this service. Just every eye is closed. There's no pressure. I, I do not. I see you in the back. Thank you. You can put your hand down. Anybody else? Every eye closed except for mine. I'm only trying to identify. If you want to hear more about the saving grace of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of your sins, raise your hand. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for this series and reminding us of the glorious truths of your grace. Now, Father, bring it beyond words, Lord, this week and make it a reality in our lives, Lord places where we feel like we're failing, not measuring up. God, I pray, Lord, that your grace would abound. God, I pray, Father, that, that, that the grace of God would drive us into the presence of God. In Jesus' mighty name, show us, Lord, not just by words and preaching, but show us living examples situations in our life where your grace breaks in to a situation, Lord, that we think is hopeless or unforgivable, God, come in this manner.
in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Listen, we're going to open the altar, so if I could have some of the core team. Listen, we're going to pray for people that need prayer. If you're here today, uh, it, it can be totally unrelated to the sermon. You just need somebody to agree with you in prayer. Maybe you need healing in your body. Maybe you need healing in a relationship. We have these folks up here that are just going to be available to pray. And then for those who raise their hand, I would like to talk to you after. If I understand that people raise their hand and they don't respond to this moment. But I just want to let you know, I'm here and would like to talk to you more about uh, the, 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 the decision that you want to make. And I want to lead you through a process uh, and a prayer that will, um, well, I just want to lead you through those things. And so if you feel brave and bold, I'm right here. I'd like to pray and talk with you. Other than that, church, we're going to bring it to a close here. God bless. Have a great week, guys.